Hello and welcome to Deep in the D-Pad, where we explore all things gaming through an intellectual lens. I'm your friendly neighborhood host and game designer, Carlos, and with me, as always, is R.K. Taylor. What's up? On today's episode, we're going to be discussing revenge and how it manifests in ourselves and video games, as well as other pop culture artifacts. Before we get into today's main topic, let's start with some D-Pad delights. So recently, I've kind of like full dive into the Psychonauts series, and my D-pad delight for today is Psychonauts 2. It doesn't have much to do with revenge. I don't really have many delightful stories around revenge, but in Psychonauts 2, I had a really delightful moment like right in the beginning because I had most recently just finished playing Psychonauts 1 and then playing through Psychonauts Rhombus of Ruin in VR, and the intro of Psychonauts 2 just sort of like picked up right where everything left off. So it just felt like even though 10 plus years had passed since like the last game had come out or something like that, like it just felt like nothing missed a step. And that was so nice. And I saw like references to certain things that like, I'm only gonna fully understand if I had like played both games and pretty much like from there, the game just kept being like delightful more or less uh so that's my d-pad delight of the week is psychonauts just like following through on all their details throughout like multiple titles and really executing at least the intro of their highly anticipated second game very well yeah so you appreciate the continuity like between games they don't like leave much hanging or like the they things are it's like if there was a cliffhanger then it was like kind of fulfilled in the in the sequel yeah, exactly. Yeah, like things like the main the main antagonist of like the first game ends up becoming like a very uh key focal point in the second game. That character is still kind of a key point, but not as key as like the main character of that VR game. Like that that char- and and the thing is is like that's great is like you don't need to play these games. Like they do their due diligence to give you a nice stylish like oh previously on Psychonauts like type mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. You get to notice a little bit more even if you like even if you watch that thing, you're not you're not gonna know why like Coach Oleander is like pushing a mermaid tail off of him when he awakens or something like that. Um, and that's that's where you know players who have played the game are like, oh right, that's what I did like that puzzle. Fuck yeah. Uh, or if somebody makes like a little offhand remark that might be referencing something that happened elsewhere. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice that they have like little bits, like treats that they sprinkle throughout that, you know, are like narratively continuous, but also like it isn't obtuse for a new player. And, you know, they're accommodating both both sets of players. Yeah, exactly. And the first game came out a long time ago, if I remember correctly. Was that original Xbox or 360 or? It was original Xbox. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, and the second one came out 2021. So that's a really long time between between games and for, you know, Tim yeah. Schafer to be like just sitting on those like, you know, jokes or like the mermaid tail after all these years, you know? And it's it's wild that they also like jump platforms to kind of continue their narrative. Like if you want the full sequential, you got to play like on a on an original Xbox, then you got to play on like a VR headset, whether it be a Vive or an Oculus. And then to go to play Psychonauts 2, you got to be on like modern hardware, like, you know, uh, what is it? Xbox Series X, like uh, Windows, PC, that type of thing. Yeah, Psychonauts is available, uh, uh, like, it's backwards compatible on the series oh, nice. consoles, just so you know. Okay. So I played it pretty recently, actually. I played it, like, a year ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, through I think through the store. It's not, like, free or anything, but whatever. Anyway, I was... <laughs> I, okay, yeah, I was going to tell you about Jeopardy! Play Show finally today, and yeah. I have, like, it. it is, like, become, like, a... I don't know, I, I a meme or something at this point that, that I, I am, like... <laughs> constantly delaying uh discussing jeopardy play show uh i think there have been like three separate episodes where i'm like i don't have anything to talk about for a d-pad delight so let me just finally get to you know it's kind of like the 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 (laughs) substitute teacher of my d-pad delights or something but yeah um, i thought of something this morning 
um, that has to do with revenge. I was watching so Jeopardy uh, play shows going back on the bench, like back on the Jeopardy bench, play yeah, show man. got super excited. Like it was all antsy, fucking patting the bat on its feet, getting ready to go hit the ball, and then you're like, psych, no, I got something else. Get back in the, <laughs> exactly. in the pit. <laughs> yeah, Jeopardy play show is like what I think I'm gonna talk about multiple times, and then it's the morning <laughs> of. I'm just like my mind is racing, and I'm like, I can't use it today. I gotta <laughs> keep this going. So I was thinking about uh, this game, Squid Game, or this this uh, show called Squid Game. Have you watched that yet? Oh, yeah. I watched the trailer for it, like, multiple times. I'm, I'm 50-50 because I don't know if I can do more Battle Royale shit. Like, I, I want that I want that show to be good. The sets look fucking awesome. Like, there's some M.C. Escher, like, super colorful bananas and pajamas looking set. And I'm like... Bananas I, and pajamas. Yeah, oh it's, it's like staircases going everywhere in super, like, wild colors. And I'm like, I yeah, fucking yeah. love this. Like, I, I want it to be good. Please tell me about it. Yeah, no, it is. It's it's pretty um engaging. But it, I saw another show. So this is a Korean show. Um, And I was really surprised because it was number two on Netflix, uh, like, a mm-hmm. few days ago. And that really piqued my interest because I can't think of, like, any other foreign TV show that's ever been, uh like, you know, in the top three spots on Netflix that I've noticed. Um, So I was like, wow, this must be, like really engaging you know you know i mean i'm sure that there there could be other ones but i have never come across them um and also i'm just curious about what's going on with korea because i feel like there's a lot of like good content like movies and tv shows coming from korea and like k-pop is like not something i listen to but something that people care about uh and i'm like whoa like korea is like kind of like a cultural force at this point, you know? And there was another Korean show that I watched called, uh, uh, Alice in Borderlands. And it's a similar premise to, to this one where it's like, uh, you know, there's essentially in both of these, there are games that like people are playing for with their lives, you know? And so the stakes are very high, you know, everybody like, you know, a bunch of people are gonna, are gonna die, but it has like the game component and these elements of surprise. And I was thinking that that's really only possible to do this successfully in a world where limited series are, you know, like a form, like a form of, of media. I, I don't really remember limited series when we were kids, for example, you know, it, it seemed like the, the goal of TV shows back in the day was like, let's get to a hundred or let's pump out as many shows as we can. And it, you know, if, if we've like milked this for everything it's worth, uh, then that's great. You know, then we got all the money that we possibly could have. But I think like limited series are more about, there's something like artful about it where you have to understand the whole arc. You know, you have to understand, you know, the, the whole, the whole season is the whole show. So you're not trying to, it's almost an announcement that you're not trying to have multiple seasons and you're not going to try to milk this. And for, for things that require suspense and surprise, like these thriller gamey type of, uh, TV shows, I think it's a perfect medium. Um, so I've really enjoyed that. I recommend it to anybody who is interested in seeing games in TV shows that are not reality TV shows. You know, I like there are a limited number of these kinds of uh, this. Like, it's a pretty specific genre, but there are a yeah. few things out there now, and you can you can find them. Uh, depending on like what specifically you're going for, I think this is. I think this is fairly safe to call the death game genre um i i don't know if there are battle royale elements like if if they're you know if people need death to kill game each other good, yeah. yeah the circle or, was yeah. there something called circle or something like that i think that may have been like that there's a reality show on netflix called the circle i'm not talking about that one i'm talking about <laughs> I'm talking about a drama or like a thriller drama yeah, De- Death Game. I think that's a really apt name for it. And it's kind of odd that there's... I mean, Saw is it was doing that, right? Like, Saw is essentially Death Gaming. Yeah, there, I think, like... So, hmm, it's interesting you bring up Saw. Because, uh, like, yes, it, 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 like, the main thing, right, was, like, want to play a game. And it's, like... But, <laughs> yeah, but it's yeah. not actually a game. Like, it's always, like, oh, here's an escape room, I guess. But, like, for these Death Game-type movies... And one of them I think you would find hilarious is called As the Gods Will. As the Gods Will is a Death Game movie about, like, some weird supernatural Daruma statue doll. With Daruma... A Daruma doll in uh, Japan is a, like big red pot looking thing with like a face in the middle of it like a person's face kind of um and so anyway this possessed like the doll appears and it's like we're gonna play red light green light one two three and like 
you know, the things happen, people are moving, red light, green light, one, two, three, and then everyone thinks it's all fun and games, somebody gets spotted moving when the Daruma turns around, and then his head blows up, and it's gore everywhere. And, you know, boom, death game, like, that's it. Like, <laughs> the long and short of my tangent with As the Gods Will is, like, the death game genre, I feel, is, like, really popular in places like Japan and Korea, and only kind of drifted over to the West with things like the Hunger Games and, like maybe a couple of other things. I, I do think we tried to maybe do the quote-unquote death game, but the way we do it is so much more, uh, I don't know, like, it's not as playful, I guess I should say. Like, playing Red Light, Green Light, or, or uh, what's it, Red Rover, like, in the Squid Game trailer, that is playful while That's being dark as fuck. They do, Red Light, Green Light is the name of the first episode of, of Squid oh, Game. Oh, okay. I, see, the one of the key differences between something like Hunger Games is that it, that is already a dystopian uh, world, right? It's not just like, it, it, whereas these other games, it's it's the every, everyday world, and then within the everyday world, there's this pocket of evil where they're playing these like really sickening games. And I think I think that kind of the juxtaposition of like the mundane reality, uh, you know, the everyday existence with the, you know, immersion of these, like, you know, th that's part of what, what like it makes people seem even crazier or more unhinged if they were just a banker yesterday. And then today they're like blowing someone's head off because, you know, they're, yeah. because the rules of the game are dictating that if you're in the, if you're raised in the hunger games, you know, being a hunger games champion is less like it, for, I guess to me, it seems less, uh, like contrived right. even or like because uh, you've kind of been conditioned like you, you've been, it's almost like that the hunger games is like watching football like you've been like oh okay this is just like the sport and whatever whereas like you know in any of these other uh shows where like the whole world isn't screwed up it's just like what is going on why is this happening to me ah it's deviating from macrocultural norms exactly yeah, yeah that's what i'm getting at and and not to say that you should like people in the hunger Games shouldn't try to escape the conditioning that they've experienced but there's almost something more like psychologically understandable ab about that you know like you said football can be really bar could might be considered really barbaric uh, 50 years from now. I mean, it's already kind of getting some of that with like concussion and whatnot. Um, but really quick, these, these, these games, these, uh, death games are also set up a paradigm of, of revenge, you know, like they're, it's mm -hmm. very easy to, to imagine how, uh, you know, I don't want to give any spoilers, so I'm not going to talk about any specific instances, but you know, if we, when we think about, uh, about revenge narratives, you know, the, the idea that, uh, some folks will thrive on the kind of anarchy or the violence, uh, and then there will be some maybe like meeker or weaker uh, folks who are emotionally responding to what they're witnessing, right? To the violence or the horror that they're witnessing. That right there sets up the the arc of of revenge and. Often we would root for the person who's less violent and the person who's more emotionally connected or maybe save, trying to save other people if they're out exhibiting altruism. Mm -hmm. um, so all of those, you know, kinds of moods, they're social experiments, right? These death games often have like a bunch of players and a bunch of people will get eliminated really quickly and then you'll be left with some kind of like archetypal types of personalities and then, you know, yeah. the ones that resonate with us are, are usually the hero type ones. We can get all into the that later, but um, I don't know. <laughs> Sounds like Death Games is going to be on the menu soon. <laughs> Death Games. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to talk more about like uh, like Death Games and a lot about Korean cinema with you because that's something that I fucking love, and I know you haven't watched Old Boy, so now I'm revealing that to the rest of our audience. He hasn't seen Old Boy, folks. I, I have not. You're real right. Old Boy. <laughs> We're gonna change that. We're gonna make that happen. But speaking of revenge, I guess let's just start with, um, I don't know, what does revenge feel like? I think that's like a decent place to start. Okay. Like, I guess anecdotally, revenge to me is like this intense sensation of like, I have been wronged and I must see that wrong fixed. And there's some sort of like visceral heat behind that desire to see that wrong fixed probably coming somewhat from like the the anger or the indignation of like being wronged in the first place that is now fueling my like anger and uh, intensity and focus to like have that fixed but 
at the same time that I am trying to like move forward and fix that, I now, you know, depending on how much like how into my bag I am with this revenge thing, I may be completely like blocking out all this other stuff around me that like could clearly help me. But I'm just so like drunk off of this feeling that I'm like, no, like this has to be fucking settled now, you know? Interesting that you refer to it as like a drunkenness. You know, there's like the sensation that you're almost, um, you know, under the influence of, you know, a chemical, you know, like the, the revenge is kind of overtaking you or, or showing you sides of your personality that you maybe you didn't realize were there. I, I don't know in how many like ways in my actual life I've experienced like the, the feelings of, of revenge, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I'm off, I try to approach uh, people and this is certainly in the last, like more, more like the last 10 years of my life. Right. But I try to approach situations like more holistically where I'm trying to understand the parts and like, there's like a curiosity and, and like almost like an ecological approach to it. Like, how is the system functioning? So if someone does something I don't like, right, let's say, let's say it's extreme, right? Let's say if I'm examining like someone's abusive behavior, right? Instead of wanting to get even or wanting to punish them or commit more suffering, commit, commit an act that will engender more suffering. My goal is to try to understand that and then figure out how we can diffuse it basically, you know, like, it's like, how can we prevent future situations like this from occurring? So that's almost like anti-revenge, you know, Mm -hmm. I I don't feel motivated by vengeance. Uh, But then there are times where like, you know, to take a really trivial and also topical example, if I'm playing, you know, like, I remember, like, uh, we talked about when I was trying to beat Kingdom Hearts one, like a couple of years ago, I was doing a playthrough. And I was like livid at at like the final boss and like how there were so many bosses right after the other. And like I felt the sense of like after after dying so many times, it was like I need to fucking do this. Like I have like the onus is on me to triumph, you know, like I and and it felt like it would have been wrong to not. And it, I, I didn't have my emotions weren't directed at like the the pixels on the screen per se. You know, it it wasn't ha- I was having this more like I wasn't so deep in the narrative that like I was imagining myself as Sora taking on so right mm-hmm. so it, the antagonist right it wasn't like a I wouldn't call it revenge but it what would you call that I don't know do you have a better word for that like the need to overcome or you know I know that exact feeling cuz I was in that exact predicament when Kingdom Hearts 1 had come out um and as far as I know that's actually the core feeling game loop of like the Dark Souls series right like is that revenge? I don't know. Like, I kind of think it would be revenge, but, like, if that is revenge, then I would say then revenge is, like, existence existent within, say, Rocket League, right? Like, because the game is kind of like it's outdoing you. You know, you're you're dying, which means most likely it's a failure to perform the actions in a timely manner, something like that. And so it the blame, to some extent, or a fair extent, falls onto you as a player. Uh, This is kind of like challenge versus frustration, right? So, like, as long as you feel like you had the tools to take care of the challenge but still messed up, you're blaming yourself, and that's, like, fueling this thing of, like, fuck, like, I know I can do better. I know I can beat this boss. He's a piece of shit. I'm the cool guy. I got powers. I just need to know how to use them. As opposed to, like, wow, this boss has, like, a... 50 foot long sword and I can never get fucking close and I have no moves to get close to him. Now I just know the game is like fucking me over and there's like less of that. I think because that's more defeating, there's less of that fire for like revenge. Whereas like if you see that you're the one that messed up and you're still coming back to this fairly understandable and predictable, more importantly, like, scenario combat set up the boss fight right it's always playing out he's doing the same moves same movements yada yada right you're basically like trying to tackle the same math problem over and over and over again and then you need to go back to the drawing board and try a new hypothesis so it's like it's weird like scientific method cross revenge i I love that you're using the example of a math problem because it reminds me of a quote i may have I may have told you this before but bertrand russell was like a you know 20th century philosopher and mathematician uh mm-hmm. who like was like seriously suicidal at points in his life and like didn't kill himself because he was like so curious about math that's like my favorite <laughs> philosophy fact uh it's like 
you know, how dedicated to the game. But he also said yeah. something like, you know, if you're upset about something, right, if you're having an argument with someone, uh, ostensibly there is a fact of the matter, right? There is a truth to to yeah. to, to find out, you know, to uncover. Uh, and the idea of that one would be emotionally heated uh, because of a, you know, a, a particular debate is... Uh, doesn't make any sense you know like it's you're automatically personalized something personalizing something that has an objective truth and the objective truth like there's no need to be upset about something that is true because it is you have no control over it you're just a, a being that's existing within a space where this thing is true i the 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 it, you use the word indignation i think or indignant and i, I think that that's so key to to revenge um the with with a with a math problem or with a uh you know Sora trying to be the the antagonist there's there's a a lack of an emotional dimension there uh or or even in even like you mentioned rocket league right someone scores on you you score on them that's competition it's not really revenge you know it has to be if you're tilted it may feel like revenge but revenge is a really deep emotional uh path that one feels right hamlet is completely predicated on on you know hamlet's dad being killed by by the current king claudius right and the entire he finds that out in act one and then everything that spills out from there is you know like ophelia winds up killing herself and all of this right like or to take you know like a lion king right is maybe a more accessible or more more commonly you know more it's a reference that people will be more familiar with that's similar uh based on similar material right like so if we think about how evil it is for scar to kill mufasa and then and then you know makes simba think that it was his own fault you know that's so sickening and it's such an like evil thing to do that when when simba realizes that it's 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 i think it's possibly more than just about uh creating a sense of justice but it, it it's it's like i need to punish this person i need i have a right almost to enact my anger on him because he dishonored my father right right to bring it to a more modern example i think we can take the simple act of like killing someone in halo this goes one of two ways right you either get killed and also it doesn't have to be just halo but i think we kind of really saw it pop off in halo like in the original trilogy but when you die in halo your body either just stays there for the four seconds you stare at it or the person who killed you walks over your body and proceeds to crouch rapidly and repeatedly over your body and that is the moment where revenge starts to get fucking seated because that's the indignation, right? It's like, we were having friendly competition, you killed me, but now you're performing this, like, fucking ta- act taunt. on my corpse. Yeah, yeah you're it, taunting me, yeah. It, you're it's essentially asking that corpse. person to come back and, and, like, fight you, you know? It's like, yeah. it's like I'll do this again. Like, I'm not afraid of you, you know? It's like, there's not really something like that. There's not really something like that in Rocket League, as far as I can tell. Like, I can dunk on the someone, chat, but I dude. can't... Calculated, calculated. Oh, true. Calculated, calculated. calculated. <laughs> Somehow calculated doesn't feel as like indignant as uh, t- getting teabagged in Halo. Well, there's something sexual about it. I mean, it's it's rapey for sure. It's you know, an, it's an act of like sexual violence, and and it, it's not actually happening. You know, it's not like this. It's not like you see your balls come out and then they're right. in the mouth of this person. It's but like a Lego block version of it. It's a Lego block version. And honestly, I mean, what are, what more degrading thing? You know, like imagine if you had an actual dead body in front of you, and if someone teabagged that dead body, I mean, that would be an absolutely horrendous, sickening thing. To, yeah, to definitely. observe, you know. Um, so the fact that someone is trying to simulate that in a game as a way of being like <laughs> "fuck you," th- you know, that's that's disturbing. You know, the fact that that's kind of a norm, you know, but uh, and the fact that it evokes revenge, I, I think, is understandable. But I would still, I would still say, I think that that like you know, a true f- sense of revenge is is a more deep rooted. You know, I think it often involves. Uh, maybe like family or like maybe like even like political stuff like perhaps like it's i think it's often an attack on something you love or value greatly whether that be a person a thing or a like value even ideas Yeah, yeah yeah a value or an idea like if if like those things get attacked 
or destroyed, then that like has a big enough impact that it can like lead someone down the path. Right. So like speaking on that, right. Some of these popular examples that I can connect to that is like the loss of like loved one or something important is like John Wick's dog, like John premise of John Wick, his wife dies, his wife post mortem set him up to like get a puppy to help him go through it. And then like, you know, wow, happens. PS I love you, but with like a pet, that's crazy. <laughs> happenstance comes up like some russian mobster guy appears and they like rob his house and it's like okay you've killed the master chief you robbed his house all right but no then they go and they kill his puppy like right in front of him and it's like well that's the teabagging part and this is why john wick goes to his basement with a sledgehammer and takes out all of his guns and comes back to his life of murder that like he had left and that's where the revenge kicks off like he and he explains it towards the end of the film. Like, it's not really much spoilers. He's just like, this, my, I lost the one thing that brought me to this fucking world after I was a hitman. And she gave me one thing to keep me tethered. And you fucking killed that one thing. So yeah, I think I'm back. And then he goes on to kill the rest of the crew. And with Kill Bill, it's more of like the betrayal of trust. Because the, the, and I guess this is kind of a... I'll keep it as light spoiler for Kill Bill, for anyone who didn't see any of the huge pop culture movies we're talking about. When did about. that come out? Like 2000? I haven't seen John Wick. God. I, I know, I know. I, and you haven't seen Old Boy. We're going to fix these things. Like, <laughs> One thing really quick before you move on to Kill Bill, though, about John Wick is that, yeah. you know, I, I really like that that premise that, um, you know, the dog is dogs representing innocence and, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, unconditional love, you know, potentially, but also, you know, it's a proxy for his wife. This was his, this was a gift from his wife and it's what is helping him process his grief, you know, helping him cope. Uh, so just, it's, it's, it seems like a very layered objective correlative as, you know, that's like a, like symbol basically, right? It's an emotionally resonant, it has multiple layers of emotional resonance in the, this one object, you know? Yeah. Um, and so with kill bill, I talked about, you know, murdering a, a living thing, you know, taking away a living thing with kill bill. I think it's more of like the, the, the destruction of the idea of trust because someone who the main character in kill bill, I'll, I'll just say like Uma Thurman. Cause I can't remember like, Oh, kiddo was the actual, uh, kill bill character's name, kiddo something. Um, so Uma Thurman's character gets betrayed by like the person she loves and is like attempted assassination. She wiggles her left toe, punches her way out of a coffin and all this shit and gets her revenge. But it all starts off with like, yo, we are a pack of cool kids. We are going to have each other's back to the end. And at the last second, she turns around and gets shot in the face. And it's like, wow, I can't trust anybody. Like, I learned from the fucking best karate master. I learned from all of these different assassins. And now I am out for myself and I'm going to take down every last one of you because you betrayed my trust. And I know y'all have families and I'm going to keep it business and not fucking kill them. I'm going to kill you. That to me is like way more. I, I don't, that to me is like a little more badass. like rather than like burn it all to the ground, John Wick style. She's like, there's literally a scene where she is like having a, a knife to knife death fight with someone. And then her daughter comes home and they like pause because of this. I guess it's kind of like maybe Tarantino's idea of like honor while fighting, but like they pause and like she, she goes up to her room and it's like, okay, we're going to have this fight here because, and both parties acknowledge it. It's like, yo, you tried to kill me. I'm here to fucking tie things up. And the other person's like, yeah, I really wish things didn't have to play out like this, but I did try to kill you. So like, let's have this fight and see what happens. And so that all is to say is like, they acknowledged there was a heavy betrayal of trust and like brotherhood because this pack of assassins were so tight. They traveled together. So for that double betrayal to happen, it's like, yeah, shit needs consequences, I guess. Yeah. A lot of this sounds like what, uh, I think of as like stakes, right? Where it's like, mm-hmm. how can, how, you know, how can we raise the stakes? Right. Like the the multiple levels of betrayal are certainly fostering that they're certainly like creating the an emotional depth that becomes easier to resonate with you know the more extreme circumstances when we try to put ourselves in those shoes the the more extreme they are the you know even if we are not like 100% 
uh, able to interface with that world, if we got 80% there and it's super extreme, then we are really far beyond the bounds of our normal lives in, our, in terms of our ability to experience revenge. Um, but w- one thing I think that we should note, too, is that revenge, like the architecture of it, you know, the, in ter- narratively, right? Like the way that we create a revenge story, it it's it doesn't seem all that complex to me right it almost reminds me of like the pokemon games where like it's always like yeah. you ha- you have a you have a nemesis his name is gary he's your rival <laughs> and it's like kind of this built in dynamic of like we've mm-hmm. all met people in our lives who we didn't get along with or perhaps we were competing with in some way for for someone's attention or you know something you know right like that seems to be the gary and and ash type of dynamic where it's like we both want Professor Oak to be our daddy and like he's only going to be daddy to one of us. So like whoever proves themselves and we're going to have cockfighting with, you know, chikoritas in order to like make this in order to get daddy to like love us, you know? Right. and that's not really revenge, that's more rivalry, but but the idea of revenge is someone is, is going through life, they experience a loss of a resource or love or their personal safety uh, at the end. At the usually at the expense of someone else, right? So there's a target for that they can map their revenge onto, and then uh, due to the antagonist creating this this deficiency of resources, uh, the they become more powerful, right? Either their status grows, the antagonist status grows, or uh, maybe they have more money now, or something like that is happening, and then the protagonist naturally will want the antagonist to. N- not be as well off as they are because they've been harmed by them, right? So B wrongs A, A wants B to be wronged too, right? That's it's like kind of like a mirror type of situation, and and the the yeah. Ki- yeah. So you know, if you hurt me, then I'm gonna want to hurt you, and that may not look the same way. If you take all my money, I may want you to die. I may want to hurt someone in your family or something. You know, there are different ways that we can hurt each other, but it but it's all circling around this idea of. How can I cause harm to those who have harmed me? Yeah, I wonder if there's anything at all very strongly tying, like, the Hammurabi's code with this. Because revenge is essentially an eye for an eye, right? Like, is it just that, like, that law or that code came from that feeling, that visceral revenge feeling, and then kind of turned into a law at some point? Or is it something greater that just, like, this is a desire that, like, everybody wants? Like, if I am to be greatly wrong, then that that great wronging must go on to someone else. My thinking for the, you know, this is totally speculative, you know, like, this is definitely out of both of our, our depths. But my thinking is yeah. that the, the legal element is uh, more for the civility of society right if everybody it, it, the, like the idea of something of, of laws being draconian is like like let's say the law is like if you smoke marijuana we will behead you right the chance that you're going to yeah. smoke marijuana the risk reward calculus there you know suddenly marijuana seems like like the devil you know like you're not trying to get that cabbage you know you're gonna you want your head you know so that yeah. the Hammurabi code you know it's maybe not about pot but it's like if you steal from someone we're gonna chop your hand off if that is if that w- were a law the even like you could be extremely hungry right you could be you could really want to steal someone else's food but by engaging in that behavior you're going to lose your arm and then you'll never be able to work again potentially you know or you know it might become gangrenous or something you're like you're risking something much greater than missing one meal uh so it's disincentivizing the committing all acts of, of crime i don't think that revenge actually has to be eye for an eye because there that is perfectly that is perfect symmetry, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and revenge can be, like, if someone hurts you, if someone kills someone in your family, let's say, you could want to kill every member of their family. And that isn't par- that's not that's not a situation of parody. That's a, a, yeah. Their emotions are boiling. Revenge up. usually is way messier. Like, we mentioned the drunkenness at the beginning. But, like, that's that's definitely, like, the best word to put on it because it is, it's clouding you. It's making you move, uh, what is it, sloppily. You know, if you're doing attacks, they're going all over the place. Speaking of, you know, being drunk with rage and revenge being messy as all hell and killing everything until you feel good which asterisk on that big last part god of war the original god of war trilogy starring kratos of whatever the fuck he comes from i don't remember uh he he is tricked 
during some fucking battle, he's tricked by Ares, the actual Ares, to kill his family. And so Kratos, by his own hand, kills his wife and I believe his daughter, and from there is sent into... That's basically the start of the story. Like, the opening cutscene to God of War is like, Kratos is casting himself from Mount Olympus. He climbed the top of Mount Olympus, fucking jumped off, because he does not want to be on this planet anymore. He was tricked into killing his own family, he's stricken with grief, and then in that moment of, like, suicidal confirmation, some god reaches out to him and, like, gives him the energy he needs to then start killing every, like, aggressive living thing until he starts getting to gods. And then, long story short, between God of Wars 1 to God of War 3, he goes on killing the entire Greek pantheon and destroys the entire planet due to it because these gods are in control of certain elements and stuff like that. So, like, when Poseidon dies, the entire world floods. And so on and so forth. So, like, that's a revenge tale in games that spans, like, several titles. And, you know, we have the modern God of War games, which is still a fair degree about revenge, but it's not necessarily Kratos going to take revenge immediately. If anything, now it kind of seems like more characters have (laughs) a real good reason to get revenge on Kratos than vice versa. I want to juxtapose juxtapose that with uh, uh, Oedipus. Right yeah. in Oedipus, like he, you know, basically the the a prophet foresees that uh, you know Oedipus is gonna kill a, kill his father, marry his mom, blah 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 blah. He winds up uh, trying to like resist this, but like the prophecy comes true, and he unwittingly kills his dad. You know, his like he. I, he unwittingly he doesn't i think he's adopted so you know he some guy he's like marching through town on a road uh this guy comes up and he's like hey what are you doing here and then he like winds up killing his dad right that that wound up being his father um they got into like a duel or whatever and then uh he you know continues marching on and then like the queen is there and the king didn't return and it's like oh i guess i'll marry this lady now and it's like low-key his mom right and then eventually he finds that out and then he blinds himself right yeah like and that is insane. Like, like the the fact that so so the the difference here those, those I view those as very sim- narratively similar. But the difference is that Oedipus takes out his uh, uh, indignation on himself uh, and wants to generate his own suffering, whereas Kratos is externalizing that. And, and you know, and I don't know if you, I don't know if we would call the uh, like maybe shame or guilt is more mm-hmm. what. Oedipus's feeling rather than revenge but go ahead what what, what do you I could tell by your smile that you're trying also just to kind of like add on to the Oedipal thing you bring up uh, (laughs) one of my favorite lines is that this one of my favorite lines in video games or one or one that I will just rattle off because it's kind of like fun to say is at the start of God of War 3 when Kratos is literally like he is on one of the four titans that is climbing Mount Olympus or whatever like he's like Zeus your son has returned! And, like, it's very, it's very clear, like, oh, he's pissed, he's got daddy issues, and he's about to kill the fuck out of his dad. And it gives me big Oedipus vibes, even though the way it went down in Oedipus is, is like, way more, like, coincidental, dramatic irony, as is the format and stuff like that. Whereas this is, like, you know, very streamlined, like, straightforward fucking Greek epic. Like, ah, we're not gonna find out this secret. I'm just gonna know it, and I'm gonna be mad and kill you for it. Yeah, I don't know. The the more we're talking about revenge, the more, like, it's not sitting well with me that we have so many of these narratives. Um, and I really think we could just go on <laughs> all day and list them. Like, no, I'm completely serious. Like, it, where's the, like, ethos of compassion, you know? Or even, like, the the old school idea of heroism. You know, why does it have to be muddied by these, like, emotional, this emo- emotional turmoil, you know? Like, it, in order for us to resonate with it, like, do are we so broken as a as a culture that we need, or, you know, as a species, maybe, you know? I mean, it's it's been going on for hundreds of years. There are epics that are predicated mm-hmm. on revenge, right? So there's something really deep, deep-seated about, about this in our psyches. Um, but I, I, like, I just kind of wish that we had something more wholesome to cling to, I guess. I'm being a, I'm being a baby. Well, you know, here. we have our fair amount of, and, you know, we are in American society, so, like, the most high-performing media is usually the violent stuff, whether it be guns, martial arts, or what have you, right? So that's kind of 
some of my backing logic for why revenge tales are like so popular. It's like one, it like fills this checkbox that we all like to watch in movies or games. Two, it's this like very, very relatable sensation. And if, and if anything, they are like fantasies that we often might like play out in our heads, but no can never like actually happen in society. And seeing that within a fictional, like on-screen presentation it may give you maybe a little bit of that catharsis or potentially be a good cautionary tale as to like what revenge can really bring. Because something that I like about John seeing John Wick in theaters, I think I saw John Wick two and three in theaters was like it, it, it half the fun was like watching these like brutal Jackie Chan death fights play out. But the other half, and that's like, that's the revenge tale. Like, yeah, I want those people to die because they're going to hurt my good, my good boy, John Wick. But the other half of the fun was hearing the audience be like kind of disgusted at the movie and or themselves when like, especially like interesting, brutal deaths came out. Like John Wick kills someone in a library using like a fucking encyclopedia. And like, you know, I like, I don't need to explain how, but just like in how that happened, you heard the audience go from like, Ooh, ooh, to like, oh, oh, and like, and that was great. Like, I, I think that's why revenge tales also like really hit well. Is that like more often than not, they tend to be a cautionary tale or some sort of tale that's like you don't want to do this. Like even John Wick, dude. John Wick is still to the fourth movie facing the consequences of the fact that he even fucking came out of retirement in the first movie. And, yeah, like, yeah. literally and has the whole world after him. I like the cautionary tale idea, you know? I mean, it's like, I love The Sopranos, right? But but it's yeah. not like I want to be Tony Soprano. Like, he's a sociopath. Um, and, and, you know, he's just... The, the acts that he commits are, are atrocious. And there is a lot of, you know, revenge. I mean, the very ending. Of, like, I, I have no clue what the series finale is about, but it's it was so popular at the time. Like, I know... I know visually, like, what is there, and I can only assume that it has to do with revenge of some type, right? Like, there's just a I'm cycle of violence within Don't that. Don't even stop setting me that's up. That's fine. <laughs> I do like your point about catharsis, though, because I think that's the other side of the coin, right? Cautionary Tale is like, it, like it, basically, the reason I bring up to the Tony Soprano thing is, you know, he's an example of an anti-hero, and a lot of these revenge stories are predicated on these, like, base emotions, uh, and, you know... It, I'm sure there are people who believe that revenge or vengeance is is virtuous. Um, because I don't lean that way, I, I tend to think that in order for a revenge story to be predicated on like anti-heroism, basically, I don't think a, a true hero will be engaging in something that uh, you know that like is this kind of intoxicating feeling that is adjacent to rage or you know the idea that you're trying to generate human suffering seems like a negative to me. Um, yeah. But there is something cathartic about it because we don't live in a just world and there are a lot of people that we, you know, whether we could talk about, you know, people at the corporate level, we could talk about like Big Pharma, you know, pushing Oxycontins, you know, like we could the talk saddlers, about big, big, right? What, the, I don't know the saddlers or the, the sacklers or whatever the, the 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 Purdue Pharma family that literally just recently got off with like a pretty easy fine for literally causing and perpetuating a nation if not global wide opioid crisis and the only justice we've gotten for this as a society has been the family still makes plenty of money none of them are going to jail and maybe they have to take their name off a building or two which is like nobody's gonna look at that no regular ass human being yeah that's such a that silly like, consequence that I think that, that's honestly, such a rich like, person consequence it's like oh you don't get to have this building named after you Bro, and then don't be surprised if you see, like, a fucking revenge movie where it's like, oh, John Wick is now going to hunt down all the opioid producers and fucking kill them. Like, sure, that that movie is, like, obviously far-fetched and shit, but, like, I think, you know, just our overall sense of, like, inability to do anything within society... I want to sketch out specifically what, what feels like morally reprehensible that they're doing, right? So let's assume it is the case that they knew that these drugs were addictive and they financially incentivized their uh, 
prescribing, right? So like mm-hmm. doctors get kickbacks or something like that, or, you know, they tell doctors that they are not addictive, right? So doctors unwittingly, or, you know, for, per, perhaps for their own own financial gain, are then prescribing these to people, and then they're immiserating, you know, tens of thousands of people, uh, and, you know, like lives are lost because uh, people, you know, patients are told that this is, you know, something that's prescribed for their own good, and there's either financial incentive or just a lack of clarity about what's actually going on. There, there's something about that that seems like if these people are knowingly doing that, knowingly prescribing a, uh, or uh, encouraging doctors to prescribe uh, drugs for their own benefit that are going to be harmful to people, uh, that feels evil to us, right? And we and we know that we're never going. Those people who are 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 doing that are never going to be able to understand the extent of of their actions uh, because they're just like not living, you know, in the homes of all the people who have lost loved ones, right? Like mm-hmm. there's a limit to their capacity to to understand. Uh, and also, like the punishment, like you said, is is going to be like they lose a couple, they lose some money, or their names off a building, or you know, even if they were were in jail, I think perhaps that would be a sense of justice. But I don't really feel like, I don't really feel like that's doing anything. Like people still are dead, you know. Like I, I still find it like our society has been irreparably changed because of the access that we once had to these drugs. Uh, Maybe not irreparably, but for, you know, two generations, three generations, you know, I mean, there are ripple effects uh, that I don't think we'll ever really be able to own up. So when we think about the real world, there are so many like nuances and and dimensions and the idea that things won't be fulfilled, it it creates this sense in us where it's like, well, what if they were though? Like, what if, what if people really did get what was coming to them and revenge narratives kind of put that in a nice little box that you get to open and you get to feel the whole range of emotion. You get to feel the disappointment at the very beginning and then you get to feel the the person triumphing and then you get to watch the suffering of the of the antagonist and that is cathar- cathartic, you know? That is like we don't get this in the real world and and that is uh like we we feel we can feel complete in these in these narratives that are you know, manufactured by people. Yeah, I guess like where I start to get dissatisfied with that is thinking about it now is that like all the bad guys are usually like fucking thugs. Like all the bad guys is like, Oh, this is a Russian mobster. Oh, this is like Compton gang. Oh, this is like organized crime. And it's like, I get it. Like they, like the, the organized crime thugs are the, video game enemy of movies like you can palette swap them you can give them different abilities like john wick turns into a fucking video game like by the second movie where it's like oh the bad guys now have shields the bad guys now can see through night vision goggles and it's like holy shit this is so fun to watch because there's like a power escalation but like it doesn't like it feels in terms of catharsis it feels like eating a potato chip like just very like it's it's tasty for like five seconds and then you're still like horribly dissatisfied and like you probably will eat another chip and continue to be dissatisfied because like it is it is so many steps removed from what the actual problem is that like I don't even know if it gives you the proper catharsis, right? I don't know if John Wick needs to kill a bunch of fucking pharmacists to get that catharsis, but like losing someone to shitty practices of pharmaceutical companies and doctors I don't know if that would feel so alleviated or spoken towards if somebody were to watch Kill Bill or John Wick or play God of War or read Hamlet. Like, yeah, that's kind of my thought on that. It's providing someone with a sense of control or, you know, like like God of War is allowing you to create mass destruction as a way of giving you a sense of control because you cannot find that level of control in your real world or you cannot commit acts of, of violence against the people who have angered you most uh, without facing social, you know, and legal consequences. Uh, of course, it's just a proxy, though. Like, it's never – you're never going to feel – fully fulfilled and that's why we have multiple revenge narratives and that's why we have multiple narratives that are not about revenge also that are about love you know and about you know horror and you know we have all these genres because there's a range of feelings that we want to have and when we finished feeling those things uh you know maybe we jump directly into another movie or maybe we wait a week and we watch another movie you know depending on how you know different people consume media but you know we're 
it's rare that someone, I don't think I've ever met someone who watched one movie and was like, oh, I'm good. I felt like all the ranges of <laughs> feelings that I needed to possibly feel from that one thing, you know? Um, we were curious about how different people are interpreting their experiences and distilling them into into narratives. Are there any other games you want to shout out, by the way? Or, or like, So the one thing I will mention that I just haven't played, so I can't, I really can't speak too much on this, is The Last of Us 2. Like, that's probably the highest profile game in like the most recent memory that was straight up about revenge and then also about explicitly how revenge kind of corrupts everything um so doing doing that with their main character and then showing the basically the two sides to the revenge coin it's essentially the last of us 2 is two revenge tales happening at once um which Narratively, I find kind of cool. I haven't played the game, and it seems like a lot of sentiment is very mixed around it. But you have you have like one character going for revenge for the loss of a loved one, and then you have another character who's going for revenge for loss of a loved one in the original game. So then, when those two heads collide, like what happens at the end, and yada yada yada. I think that is a cool, at least like premise and like idea around a revenge tale i don't know if the execution was like very well i i know pretty much like most of the game just through you know like youtube videos and playthroughs and stuff like that uh i kind of would like to play it at one point but really we're just focusing on the narrative here so like that's something that i don't think i've seen very often it's like two revenge tales coming together at a head and then like you know trying to handle that in a somewhat realistic way Outside of that, though, I can't really think of any, like, big revenge tales and games that, like, call out to me. I had recently played Bloodroots before we started talking about this episode, but that's essentially Kill Bill with, like, some more uh, colorful, like, wording. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I – one thing I kind of I, – I would be remiss if, if we didn't talk about this during the episode just because I, I guess I'm curious about how this mm-hmm. fits into revenge uh, is – you know, I was thinking about when we would play, like, World of Warcraft as kids and uh, – you know, that's that game we would play on PvP servers, right? And um, there would just be these, like, bouts of, of playtime where our characters would get killed and then by, by other players, right? We would be in some kind of neutral territory. And let's say we were level 20, right? And, and some mm-hmm. other character who's level 80 comes up, kills us with one hit, waits for us to respawn, kills us, waits for us to respawn, kills us. And it's just on repeat. And they are in, they are, their only goal is to destroy our gameplay experience right and that really does foster a kind of like i never did that to people like i thought that that was like do you have nothing better to do than just like prey on people who are not as high of a level as you like there's something really predatory about it and like mean-spirited and i know it's a pvp server and that's part of the game and i'm not saying that like they're breaking the rules you know but if you were lucky what you would do is you'd like get someone in your guild who's level who's the same level to come and, and back you up and then like you know get this like chase this person away from you but that's not a that's not revenge woven into the narrative of something which I think is mostly what we've been talking about. That's like a mechanical revenge almost. It's emergent right? revenge, yeah. Like similar similar to how, you know, similar to how somebody getting teabagged in Halo, it might be like, "Oh, fuck you, like I'm going to get you." This this does sting more though because you mentioned like you touched on time, right? So this person, whoever the griefer is and wow, they are spending their time getting their fun by wasting other people's time. And that's kind of the biggest offense is like, we've all come here to play the game. And now you are kind of holding me in place and stopping me from playing the game. It's like going to a Renaissance fair and then having one of the other attendees who's dressed up as a knight, just hug you and hold you in place and not allow you to move and you're like what the fuck dude like we're both at the renaissance fair why are you wasting your time just so that i can't move like five feet like go play the fucking renaissance fair bro right right and it's different than the halo example the teabagging halo example because the goal in halo it is doesn't to, interrupt is your to play eliminate the partner right like you're a or yeah. par- player other player right like the goal you're you're playing these like it's a shooter game versus you know with WoW, there are so many things to do. You know, you can go, like, work on your leatherworking, or you can, you know, uh, complete quests, or do, like, PvP arenas. You know, there's so many, or, like, raids. There's 
so many options that like someone is choosing you know in this open world this vast open world just to like be predatory toward you whereas like the teabagging is like a taunt after they've already you know killed you which was their assignment from the beginning they booted up the game you both had the same goal of killing this other person um but there's so much more agency that i think the in wow that i think it fosters when you're getting ganked it fosters that kind of like like that rage to build especially if it's happening repeatedly yeah and you know talking about world of warcraft i think it might be good to mention the make love not warcraft episode of south park where you know they all they're trying to play their game and then that which has no life appears and he has the sword of a thousand truths or whatever and he's killing everyone in one hit and so the boys are like wow fuck that like i love playing world of warcraft let's kill this fucking asshole and save the rest of the game because there's like some b plot where the blizzard employees literally don't know how this guy is so high level that they can't make npcs to kill him <laughs> <laughs> they so modded good. the game that's hilarious yeah it's I like yeah they, i was a kid yeah that's, that's i fucking episode. love that episode to this day it's so good when that guy is like how do you kill that which has no life <laughs> talking about the fucking nerd so funny um so yeah i mean that's also a revenge tale i think in wow right because they 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 get killed over and over again you know they're they're like us they just kept getting grief they couldn't level up properly and so what they were forced to do because this big griefing asshole was in the server they had to stay in the starting areas and kill starting level boars until they got to that insane power level and that's Which really that's it's not even possible i mean that's like oh hilarious. it's not that's hilarious yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like this is the architecture of revenge that we were talking about earlier is like our protagonists are facing the adversity of like not being able to play the game that they very much enjoy and that they play together like they want this like to continue their friendship in this game and they need to take care of that and so the antagonist power is like growing as they're like killing and modding whatever the fuck and the protagonists are slowly like going into conflict and conflict to get to get stronger and stronger and fucking stan's dad pass you know to be fully cliche stan's dad is like ah i got the sword of a thousand truths here take it take it and they're figuring out how to transfer inventory and then like stan's dad gets killed and he's like no father and then, you know immediately takes the revenge strike to like win the game and that all is super fun, and I think it speaks to us specifically because we had dealt with that specific issue. You know, it's way more exaggerated and lampooned, but, like, we knew that fucking pain, and that was, like, a very good specific catharsis for us. Like, yeah, this is how Stranglethorn Vale should be fucking run. Give me the Sword of a Thousand Truths. So today I'm going to be talking about network topology and how I relate it to level design to an extent. And if you're unfamiliar with network topology, Wikipedia describes it as the arrangement of elements such as links, nodes, etc., of a communication network, right? So if we're talking about, let's just say your home has four computers, the if the four computers are the nodes, they can be linked up in a certain way via Wi-Fi, you know, whatever, LAN cables, and now you have a network topology because you have multiple nodes connected. So the network topology can be used to define or describe the arrangement of various types of telecommunication networks, including command and control radio networks and computer networks. Um, so how that kind of goes into what I'm talking about with level design and stuff is like you have these major archetypes of network topology point to point, which is like line format. You're just going A to B to C to D, which could be seen like a more traditional call of duty game right it's a very it's a linear shooter you're going from like combat to combat you know you're not really deviating off of any path you have um like a ring structure which is all the nodes are connected in a ring-like shape and they can only be accessed you know each node can only be accessed from the left and right to what it connects to something that's way more familiar to everyone is the star format which we can call hub and spoke you have that central unit, and much like Mario 64, right, you have Princess Peach's castle, which is your hub. You walk around to the different rooms, which then contain the painting, which is your spoke. So you're always returning back to the hub in order to access different levels or spokes within the game. And 
from there you have like tree which is like you go to a node and then that kind of branches into three different sections or something like that Wait, but uh, before you before you describe more i'm just curious like is yeah is it like let's say i'm googling something right like yeah is is that is this like a a star shaped type thing where my computer is at home and it's bouncing a signal to Google servers and they're bouncing it back or like, I don't understand exactly how, uh, my computer, like my, I have a home network, right. And is this about, is this about my home network or is this about how my home network is responding to, are we talking about the internet here? Like, is this just land parties? It's it's less the internet. Like it's there. It definitely could be partially the internet, but let's just look at it as land for now. Cause that's like way easier to, visualize so what is what is the purpose of having a ring network let's say let's say we're we're, if we're just thinking about LAN, right if or or Mm -hmm. it's so think about it as let's think about it like uh we had firemen as all of these nodes and the information we want to transfer between firemen is the water bucket right so if i have a line if i have a line network topology and i have like four points along the line for firemen if i want to get information from fireman a to fireman d Fireman A needs to now pass it to every single fireman along the line, right? Whereas if I have a star, I could have a fireman at the center and then five firemen around him and I can get information to each. I could get the water bucket to them quicker because now they just need they need the center fireman to either pass it to him or have the center fireman pass it to the person that needs the bucket. Right. Okay, for, and for games, it makes sense to me that we would have like a, a corridor shooter or like a like a linear type of game versus an open world type of game, right? But what yeah. I don't I don't see why you wouldn't always want the most amount of connections possible. Is that just a, in in like network topology? Is that just a waste of resources? That's part of it. It could be a waste of resources. There's also the fact of like cognitive load on the player, and if they are presented with far too many options to begin with and no like set direction. It creates a sense of aimlessness, uh, creates a sense of like the game isn't playing with you per se. Okay, it's not streamlined. It's not streamlined, yeah. Like there's certainly times where you want that, right? And so I've talked about the line, I've talked about ring format, I've talked about star format, a bit about tree. Mesh is the next thing I was going to mention. Mesh is the fully open, fully connected like type of setup. So similar to star where you have like a center point and then five around it, you remove the center point and then you connect all those nodes in the ring format to each other. So now like the firemen can basically pass it to whichever firemen they want, like whether they be on their left or right, front a little bit to the left, front a little bit to the right, like each node has access to the other nodes. That can get you information around the quickest. But when it comes to level design, if I'm dropped into a level and there's like seven hallways for me to traverse with a bunch of different rooms that are open, I, I don't really know where I should go first, right? Whereas if we juxtapose that with something like Raccoon City Police Department in the Resident Evil 2 remake, it is very much, it's it's actually, well, it's it's kind of like Star, honestly. The main hall with the, with the statue and the Marvin, that is like your center point. And I guess... It's either star or tree, honestly. I don't have it like fully pinned down on RPD. But the idea is you have this room, a lot of shit is closed off, and you're slowly using tools and key items to open up new pathways to different nodes, right? So that's kind of where my level design stuff is starting to play in more. Um, is that like, how do we use these shapes and topology types to then layer on the gameplay stuff and say like okay do we want a just straight linear level then how are we going to make that interesting right like do we want the player to be able to freely run from node a to node d or do we want to like throw in a combat encounter or like a key with some sort of special gate to unlock um as for as for like higher level questions it's as simple and complex as asking like what topology shape are we even looking for here like are we doing an action-packed level? Then maybe like a line shape will be fine. Are we doing like a scary look around for things level? Then maybe a star or a mesh would be better. Or are we trying to do something that maybe feels a little labyrinthian? Maybe we'll go for a tree shape or some sort of hybrid. It's interesting that you're using technology, like in- recent in- like innovations in technology to like create new technological innovations. Or, you know, you're, you're taking how networks are used 
which really doesn't have anything to do with video games, right? Like no. it's, 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 this is almost metaphor. It's information technology. It's IT work. Right. And then you're, you're, so you're using like IT engineering as a, a way to th- think about video games differently. Um, so, and video games obviously are a form of tech. So, mm-hmm. you know, for, it's like tech influencing tech. I, I love that. I think that that's, uh, I don't know. I'm just glad that you're. Yeah. It's really fun, dude. That. Like I, I love going and finding new shit that I can then somehow apply to level design or some sort of game design because something I often hear or at least did often hear, I guess, like during academia was your design output is like the amalgamation of all your life experiences and knowledge. And so to kind of like avoid stagnation and also to come up with really cool shit i try to put myself as far away from video games when trying to figure out stuff for video games and so it network topology stuff like had come up recently uh and i think before that i was actually looking at um interior design like uh house making stuff and, and maybe i'll save the architecture that for- You've looked at architecture yeah. in the past too, so yeah, and all those things really make sense for level design too. I mean, it, like interior design, absolutely is the is actual level design of like m- real people's homes. You know, it's like yeah. And funny thing about that, and you know, maybe I'll save that for another skill tree. But it's always about for the interior design, at least if it always it always is like cramming everything into as small a box as possible. Whereas like with level design, sure, you definitely want to do that, but you also are trying to pay like big mind to like you know how much space do i need for these enemies to attack how much space do i need for the player to move around or do like a somersault that type of thing thank you for listening to deep in the d-pad subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and share us with your friends for updates and discussion follow us on reddit at r slash deep in the d-pad facebook at deep d-pad and subscribe to deep in the d-pad on youtube Don't forget to hit the bell. And if you want to ask us questions or you had a chance to share your own D-pad delight on the show, email us at askdeepinthedpad at gmail.com. Be sure to put question or delight in the subject line. Big thanks to 8-Bit Jazz and Kevin McLeod for supplying the music for the show.